Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. If you have a Bible with you, I hope you do. If you don't have one, scoot next to somebody who does. And we're going to start in the back. Revelation 21 and 22. We're doing a series called What Are You Thinking About Heaven? Uh, We want to change our minds, focus our thoughts on the things of God and the things of heaven, and we want to look at heaven, and and so we're doing a series through it, uh, a series about heaven. And two weeks ago, on January 22nd, we looked at Heaven is a real place, a real place. It's not some imaginary thing. It's not some hope, you know, some weird wild hope pie in the sky by and by. No, it's a real place. Uh, And then last week on January 29th, we looked at heaven is a restricted place. It's for believers only. And there will be people who think they're going to heaven. Jesus talked about it in his Sermon on the Mount. And they think they're following the Lord, but they're not. They haven't trusted Jesus Christ for their salvation. And they're going to point to all the works they did and said, see, I deserve to be in. And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Only those who receive Jesus Christ as their Savior receive the gift of salvation. They are allowed in. And today we're looking at the eternal heaven is a place of spectacular beauty. Now, why would I say the eternal heaven? Well, as we looked a couple of weeks ago, heaven is a real place, but the heaven that exists now is not the eternal heaven. Uh, the scripture says in Isaiah and in Peter's writing and in Revelation that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So the heaven that exists now will be replaced, and the earth that exists now will be replaced or will be made new. So the eternal heaven is a place of spectacular beauty. And so we're going to look in Revelation 21, and we're going to think about some of the things that God wrote about our eternal dwelling place. Now, the Holy Spirit spoke, and then John, the apostle, wrote it down. He was the scribe. But if somebody ever asks you, Who was the author of the book of Revelation? The answer is not John. John was the scribe who wrote it down. The author is the Holy Spirit of God. And so in Revelation 21, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. The first heaven and the first earth pass away. In the same way you pass away. You don't cease to exist. You just get made new. You'll get a glorified body. And I believe this earth will be glorified and remade like our bodies will be glorified and remade. I don't know if you know it, but when you melt steel down, every time you use steel and then you recycle steel, you can melt it down. And once it's melted down and then formed into something else, it's just as strong as it was before. Clay doesn't do that, but steel does that. And so Peter says, the elements of this earth will melt with fervent heat. God will melt it down and then he'll make it new. It will likely look like this earth. 
maybe like this earth originally looked. Um, you're going to notice some things. Some things might look familiar. There might be giant sequoias on the new earth and the super tall redwood trees that are so beautiful. Uh, there might be those. Um, if there's cacti or roses on the new earth, they won't have thorns because the thorns came because of the curse, because of Adam's sin. So there won't be any thorns. I know a lady who used to cook prickly pear as a vegetable for her kids. And so uh, when her kids got out of trouble, she'd hand it, got in trouble, she'd hand them a pair of pliers and send them out. They'd have to pull all the thorns off the prickly pears so that she could then harvest it for dinner. She said, it was a win-win. I got the, the thorns out and the kids disciplined all at once. But uh, now there, there's not going to be a curse, so there's not going to be any thorns. Some of you absolutely love lemons. And uh, you know, lemons are great until you have to harvest them off the tree. And those lemon trees have big, pointy, hard thorns. And I took one in the back of the head once while I was trying to reach up inside a lemon tree to help somebody pull stuff down. I don't believe there'll be a Grand Canyon in the New Earth because the Grand Canyon itself is the proof of the flood. The Grand Canyon is a result of the flood. So there may be great mountains. Well, we know there's going to be one. Look down in, in verse 10. Um, verse 10, he says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And the way that's written, there's probably other mountains, but this one stands out and stands above. So he went to a great and high mountain. Uh, so we know there'll be mountains. It, it says there's not going to be any seas. No seas. So, so I got a question for you. Kathy has always loved the ocean. Always loved it. And I have always loved the mountains. Well, in the new earth, there will not be the sea, but there will be the mountains. So does that mean I'm more spiritual than she is? <laughs> Just wondering. So, uh, but, but I don't know whether John saw a panorama of the whole new earth or whether he was looking at maybe the Dead Sea or the Mediterranean Sea and those seas were gone. I don't know whether there will be no oceans at all or whether he was just saying that one sea was missing. I, I can't know for sure. Uh, but we do know the New Earth is going to have trees and bushes and plants and probably animals like existed in the original creation when God created uh, a beautiful and perfect world he created animals with it and so I don't think your pets will be in heaven I think there may be animals like your pets in fact I hope to have a pet tiger on the new earth that would be really good um, uh, some of you would like a pet T-Rex maybe to go out for rides and take it out for walks and, uh, but we don't know exactly we do think the Bible doesn't specifically say there's going to be animals but when God created this earth, he created those animals. And, you know, I've known people who have pet fish, but I've never known anyone who had a pet octopus. But it seems like they could give good hugs, doesn't it? <laughs> so uh, we don't have all the answers, but we have enough answers for us to get excited and look forward to it. So there's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there's no more sea. And in verse 2, then I, John, 
saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, some people say that because the holy city is uh, it's called a bride, and he mentions that again uh, later, uh, then because it's called a bride, prepared like a bride, uh, and the church is the bride of Christ, some people believe that the holy city, New Jerusalem, that will be where the believers live, and then the new earth will be where, where the people who trusted Christ before the church age, where they're going to live. The Bible doesn't specify that. We just know that all people of all ages who have believed in God's Redeemer, they will be there in heaven with us, and we will glorify God together, and there'll be access in and out of the city, as we see here. So, uh, he saw this holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven said, Now, some people are blessed with a loud voice, some people are not. Some wives are blessed because their husbands have a loud voice, right? Uh, but some people, they have a hard time quieting their voice down. We used to say of our oldest son that he had two volumes, full blast and off. And there wasn't much moderation in between when he was little. And so, uh, but a loud voice. Some people think when you get loud, you're angry. Like if, if somebody gets loud, then it's because they're angry. No. Here's a loud voice, and nobody's angry. And here's what he says. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So John's writing this down, and these words are true and faithful uh, because God is attesting to the veracity, to the truthfulness of what is being said. So he's calling it true and faithful. Then he says in verse 6, and he said to me, it is done. You remember hearing that before? Jesus on the cross. It is finished. To tell us die, it is finished. It's done. Salvation's wondrous plan was done, the songwriter added. And now he said, it is done. Not just the plan of salvation, which was achieved fully in Jesus, and we receive salvation by trusting in him. But now the end of all things, the culmination of all the ages from the beginning and when God created the heavens and the earth to now he's creating the new heaven and the new earth. We see the full span of human history, more than 6,000 years of time is now completed and uh, God is bringing all things to completion. Amen. And he says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. In the Greek alphabet, that's the first letter and the last letter. It's like saying, I'm the A to Z. Uh, Jesus is everything. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the end, the one who's completing it. Uh, Hebrews said, 
uh, God is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who began it, and he's the one who completes it, and we get to celebrate with him. Then he says, uh, in verse, uh, continuing in verse 6, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Now, have you ever been really thirsty? You know, American thirsty means you haven't had a drink for a few hours. Uh, but sometimes uh, you get in a position where you haven't had a drink for a couple days and you are very, very thirsty. In fact, after people who have gone for a couple days without drinking, when they first start drinking again, some of them just guzzle water and that makes it worse. You have to just sip it and allow it to get in there and then sip a little more and then sip a little more. Hopefully you'll never have to worry about that. But if you ever do, now you know how to handle it. Uh, but but we, th this thirst, we're thirsty. And so what's he going to give? He's going to give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Uh, you're going to have your thirst quenched. This is the quench, thirst quenching that Jesus promised to the woman at the well. That if you come to him, you will never thirst. And so now you will have your spiritual and physical thirst satisfied. Verse 7, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. Now, when this is written in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 and now here in chapter 21, he talks about those who overcome. And some people get the idea that, you know, you have to persevere and you have to overcome on your own. you got to do it. Well, by definition, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. There's none righteous, no, not one. Both of those statements come from Romans chapter 3, and they're also mentioned elsewhere in Scripture. And so we don't have the capacity to overcome on our own, but when we receive Christ, God makes us an overcomer. Amen. He declares us to be, gives us the capacity to be an overcomer. So he's saying, he who overcomes by the power of Jesus Christ, shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. You and I get to be the inheriting sons of God. Now, ladies, don't feel offended that God says you're going to be his son. That means you're going to have the full and equal inheritance of the men. Now, there's some false faiths on earth that say that men get to be in charge for all eternity and women get to get into heaven if their husband says it's okay. No, you get there all on your own by receiving and trusting Jesus Christ. Amen. Then he says, uh, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his son. I'm sorry, I will be his God. He shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, adulterers, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, as we looked last week, uh, that the Bible talks about different sins that people have. And then it says, such were some of you, when Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. They have people in that church who had done some of those very sins. And one of those was being covetous. We've all done that at some point in our lives. And then he says, such were some of you, but you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified through Christ. And so it's not that people who get into heaven have never done any of these sins. It's those who get into heaven have had those sins forgiven 
by Jesus Christ. And so if your sins have not been forgiven, you can't get into heaven. So if that's you today, you need to trust Christ today. Because we don't know when the end will come, but we know it's coming. So we have to prepare. So verse 9, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls, Page didn't want to turn. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. I was reading what somebody wrote about this verse, and he said, Isn't it nice? The angel had to show the plague, and now the angel gets to show something good. God, God helps even the angels. I thought that was kind of cool. And so in verse 10, he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, this shimmering, shining city coming down. And you've never seen anything like this in the history of the world. It will be truly spectacular. And then he goes on, he says, in verse 12, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So there's going to be gates and those names of those tribes, they will have gates there in heaven. All right. Uh, so, and, and then in verse 3, there's going to be three gates on the east side and then three gates on the north side and three gates on the south and three gates on the west. So this massive city with big gates. Then he says, now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So this city is merging the Old Testament where the nation of Israel was the focus with God the Father and the New Testament where the church is the focus with God the Son, Jesus Christ, and he's putting them into this one city as, as the, the scripture says in Ephesians 2, God takes those who were outside and now makes them fit inside. He makes us a one body and this holy city is going to blend the two. It's going to show the same God through all of history working in a different dispensation in a different way with those people but now bringing it all to completion where we all belong together Amen. isn't that awesome alright now so the gates the wall of the city had 12 foundations and the names of the 12 apostles were on them in verse 15 and he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city its gates and its walls the city was laid out as a square its length is as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length and breadth and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man. Uh, all right, now, let's look at the size of this city. And so, I have a map here of the United States and Canada. And so, I, I just want you to see what the Bible says about this city, and it's mind-blowing. Because this city is going to be square, and 
cubed. And so it's going to be approximately 14 to 1500 miles wide. That blows our minds to picture. You know, you go into the city just right here on this side of Casa Grande, you step into that holy city, and you go walking across the city, and you don't get out on the other side till you're almost in Georgia. That's a massive city. And then it goes from uh, Cuba, Alabama, all the way up to the Hudson uh, Bay in Canada. This is a massive city. Not only is it that big square, but it's that tall high. Now, does that mean there's going to be massive skyscrapers and a varied skyline? If you go to New York City, you see all kinds of skyscrapers and skyline, and they're all different shapes and sizes. When, when we stayed in New York, Kathy found us a place. We had a room in a, a small apartment, actually, in a four-story walk-up in New York City, and we stayed there for a couple of nights. And you looked out our window and you had a view of other buildings and that was it. And we were on the fourth floor and I could see the building right next to us went up a couple stories and then another building that went up a little bit more and then another one over there went way up. You couldn't even see the top of it out, out our window. And so I, I, it kind of sounds like it's just going to be this great big huge cube. And Jesus said, in my father's house are many dwelling places and maybe we're going to have condos in there, and, and it'll just be this massive, big, huge thing. It's a spectacular city, and the size of it is mind-boggling. It's amazing how big the city is. And so, you know, one of the translators who helped translate the NIV version of the Bible, he wrote a book about Revelation, and he said, you know, we can't imagine a city that big. And we can't imagine a city that tall. So this must be figurative. Well, let me tell you, one of the rules that we have as a church, as we try and read and understand God's word, is we assume it's figurative when God uses figurative language. If he doesn't use figurative language, sorry, I didn't realize that had slid back. When he doesn't use figurative language, then we take it as literal as the normative literal translation. This is going to be one big, huge, massive city. And so that writer was wrong. And I have his book on Revelation, and I keep it not because it's a good study tool, but to show people, here's how not to read the Bible. Amen. We don't just read our thoughts into the Bible. We receive God's thoughts from the Bible. Amen. And we believe what God said. And so it's going to be this big, huge, holy city. Why? Uh, because the new heaven and the new earth, the eternal heaven is going to be a place of spectacular beauty. Now, it's not just massive size. Look at what it says about it. It's this city that glowed, remember, like jasper stone. And so uh, then in uh, verse 18, the construction of its wall was of jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, jasper and sapphire and chalcedony and emerald and sardonyx and sardius and chrysolite and beryl and topaz and chrysoprase and jason and amethyst and all of these beautiful stones. The wall is just going to glow with the beauty 
of these stones. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Does that mean the gates are going to be round? No, I don't think so. But they're going to be pearl. You know, the God who created the little oysters who create pearls, that God can create pearls all on his own. And he's going to have these gates, and the gates will be solid pearl, massive solid pearl. And then each individual gate was of one pearl. And then the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. You know, one of the weird things about living in a city that they're doing some building on is they come in and they fix the road and it looks great. And then a couple months after they do that, what do they do? Come along and tear it up. Dig it out with back hose. They cut it and lift sections out, dig it up. And now you've got this little bump down, bump up, or bump up, bump down. Uh, when it used to be this beautiful, nice flat road. Uh, and they're gonna, the streets are going to be of gold, pure, transparent gold, gold that is so refined that we've never seen anything like it on this earth because we live on this earth under the curse. Our air is not purified enough for us to be able to see gold in its pure form, but there we will. And it's going to be absolutely spectacular. Now, look at verse 22. But I saw no temple in it. See, in Jerusalem, there was a temple, and in the, the worship in Judaism, they have the tabernacle in the Old Testament under the eight, from the days of Moses till the building of the temple. And then Solomon built the temple, the first one, and it was restored under Zerubbabel, and it was restored later. And, and there, the, to the Jews, the temple was the center of their earthly worship. That's, that was the place where they met God. And there's not going to be a temple there. In the New Jerusalem, in the Old Jerusalem, not the one today, but in the Old Jerusalem, they would go to Jerusalem, to the temple. That was a significant part of their pilgrimage to go there. But we won't have to take a pilgrimage to go to the temple because God will be where we are. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Also, the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illumined it. The Lamb is the light. There will be no lamps in it. So imagine that city. Let's say we don't know 1,400 to 1,500 miles. Let's just say somewhere in there, right? That's how wide it is. That's how long it is. That's how high it is. So if you go to the center point of that city, you're in the very center point, vertically and this way and this way. So east to west, north to south, and, and vertically. You're in the very center of that city. You're going to be more than 700 miles from the outside. But you still won't need a light. Now, if you come in this building, even in the daytime, if those, these panel doors are locked, and, and the only light that comes in is a little bit coming through the crack in the door over there, most people have trouble seeing to find their way around the room. But you'll never have that problem on the new earth. You'll never have that problem in the new Jerusalem. You'll be able to go and see because God 
will light the city. And then he says in, the, in verse uh, 26, the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. The kings of the earth bring their glory and honor to it. Uh, God's not going to completely eliminate all of the nations of the earth. Uh, there will be some different people groups living in different places, but we'll all worship God together. We'll all focus on him together, and we'll go into that city to worship and appreciate him, and we'll go in and out because the gates are never shut. There will by no means anything anything that defiles an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior, they will be allowed to come into the city and go out from that city and to worship Him. Now, it, does that mean the sun's going to be eliminated? It doesn't specifically say that. It says we won't need it. Also, it will never get dark. There'll be no night there. Uh, look in verse uh, chapter 22. Chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, when I was a kid, they used to teach us that when you go out hiking in the wilderness, which I always did a lot of wilderness hiking and really enjoyed that, and you go out into the wilderness and you come to a place where you see a spring, you know, water coming up out of the ground as a, a fresh spring. And sometimes you could go up to the headwaters of a river and find a spring up there and then it starts down the mountain and by the time it gets down the bottom, it's a pretty good, pretty good river. But at the top, it's the spring and the water is gushing out. When I was a kid, they would tell us, if you can find the spring and you can go to that, then you can just drink it. It's good stuff. You know what they tell you now? Even if you see it coming out of the ground, you still have to purify it first. There's so many pollutants and things in the ground and in the water that you're not supposed to drink water that hasn't been filtered or purified. They have tablets you can purify it. So, I mean, you don't have to purify it. You can just drink it and see what happens. You know? <laughs> it might look good with an ear coming out of here. I don't know. It, but what, this water is going to be absolutely pure. And there's a big difference. How many of you have ever been in Washington, D.C.? How many of you have ever watched and looked at the Potomac River? Do you see the beautiful, crystal, clear, blue water of the Potomac? No, it's ugly. It's filthy. There's so many generations of trash and pollutions in there and and it smells bad and I went swimming in it when I was a kid not on purpose we tipped over our sailboat uh, and we and, and it was yucky water but this is going to be absolutely pure water and it that crystal uh, clear as crystal and it's going to proceed from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, I want you to think about that tree of life. 
it's, it's, it describes it in two ways. One as a tree and then as trees. Uh, so it, I think it's going to be kind of like um, an aspen grove. You know, an aspen grove when the aspen roots are interconnected. And so an aspen can grow and you never find just one aspen tree. You find multiple aspen trees because they're all connected into this fruit fruit root system okay if you find fruit on an aspen tree i wouldn't recommend eating it who knows what that is but uh but uh it's the aspirin growth is actually considered a single organism that just shows up on the outside as multiple trees in fish lake national forest in utah there is an aspen grove known as the trembling giant. It's over a hundred acres in size. So you see our property here, if you go out after then you, you see there's a wall on that side and there's a wall to the south and there's a wall over across the ditch over there and there's a, wall, a street to the north and you can walk out there. Okay, this is five acres. So it's 20 times bigger than our property here. And the whole thing weighs more than 14 million pounds. And it's all one connected organism. And I think that's why, that's what the tree of life must look like. Because he describes it as a tree and trees and growing on both sides of the river and in a wide area, a wide walkway. Uh, and so there's going to be separate trees and wide roads on both sides of the river, and they're going to produce 12 different kinds of fruit, and each tree is going to bear fruit every month. So I don't know if it means the one tree is going to have cherries this month and apricots next month and apples the next month, or whether the cherry tree is just going to produce cherries every month and there's going to be uh, different trees producing different fruit all at the same time. It doesn't specify. But, uh, so verse 3, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall what? Serve him. Serve him. Not just worship him. We're not just going to sing songs of praise. Oh, we're going to do that. I can't wait to be part of that. Thou art worthy, O Lord. And that, that's going to be awesome when we're singing that together. Uh, maybe a billion people or more all singing it out. And our voices will be glorified and refined. And so uh, you might enjoy hearing me sing in heaven. Uh, I prefer not to sing out loud on earth. And most people think that's wise. Uh, but uh, in heaven, uh, we're just going to worship him together. But that's not all. We're going to serve him. Well, what kinds of things are we going to do? Well, what kinds of things do we do on earth? Okay, I, if you're a tax person in heaven, you will not be a tax person. Okay? There will be no taxes in heaven. Okay? Uh, but, but let's say that, you know, you have a job. I don't think there will be dentists or surgeons or things like that in heaven. But I do think some of the skills that you have on earth, you might use in heaven. And so maybe your entire life is spent putting people's bodies back together. You won't have to do that in heaven. But maybe you have an interest in something else. 
that you could do. You know, you have your day job and then you have your passion, your interest. And so you're going to serve him doing different things. I think craftsmen will make beautiful things for, for God. And, and people will share in that. I think people will uh, sow wonderful things. And, and bakers will bake wonderful things. And it will all be nutritious and non-patented. It'll be great, won't it? Uh, and, and we will have blessings beyond compare. Then he said, we will be serving him. We will not just be sitting, strumming on harps, floating. We'll be serving and ministering in his name. And in verse 4, they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. There's no curse. There's no darkness, no night, no need for lamps or the sun. And so today, we're going to have nighttime tonight. It's going to get dark, except we live in a city, so it never gets completely dark. Uh, we don't live out in the wilderness area, but there's going to be some lights on some places, but there won't be there. Uh, will we uh, take naps? I don't know. Uh, will we rest in heaven? What was God's plan in the original creation? God spent six days making the earth. Actually, the time commitment for God was a few minutes of speaking every day. But then he rested on the seventh day. That was part of his creative plan. So I think we'll still rest in heaven. We'll probably have times and maybe days of rest there. <laughs> will we need to exercise? Uh, Probably not. Uh, we're we're going to have perfectly healthy bodies that fit with the activities we will pursue. So I, you know, I like to picture that I'm going to hike that great and high mountain, and then I'm going to go back to that holy city, New Jerusalem, and I'm going to tell Jesus how much I love His awesome creation. But if you don't enjoy hiking, I don't think God's going to say, "All right, today." Everybody hikes the hill. I think we're going to get to do what we love to do. And we're going to enjoy what we do. Will we be naked like Adam and Eve at the beginning? I don't think so. The Bible, whenever it talks about people in the new heaven and the new earth, when it mentions it, it mentions white robes multiple times that there will be white robes. But we're not going to have a sinful nature and we're not going to have sexual tension in heaven. Uh, so whatever God allows, whatever God does, is going to be just fine. And, uh, but I think we'll wear the clothes that God desires, and we're going to pursue the activities that God approves, and we're going to thoroughly and completely enjoy ourselves in the spectacular, beautiful area. Will we be vegetarians in heaven? Yes. I... I Death did not occur till after what? Sin. Sin. Sin brought death. First, the death of an animal for the coats for uh, Adam and Eve that God made from their skins. Uh, so there was no death before sin. There will be no sin in heaven. I think we will all be vegetarians. Now, I, I know 
I have a niece who's a vegetarian. She makes some really spectacular vegetarian meals. I have enjoyed a veggie burger. Maybe we'll have veggie burgers in heaven. Uh, but we're not going to kill animals for our food in heaven, I don't think, in the new heaven and on the new earth. Now, Jesus, in his resurrected body, did eat fish, but he was on this earth. And I think in the new heaven and the new earth, we won't be doing that. Uh, it's fine to eat meat now. Some people think you shouldn't eat anything that has a mother. You shouldn't eat anything that was born. Well, God told Peter to rise, kill, and eat. And in Genesis 9, they're told to eat whatever you want as long as you receive it with thanksgiving. So somebody tells you, you need to follow the Genesis diet and be a vegetarian. You can say, I'm following the Genesis 9 diet. I praise God for what I eat, and we're good. Uh, you, you, it's okay now. Uh, but I believe if we all are vegetarians, which I think likely, that you're going to enjoy the vegetables and fruit that you eat as much, probably even more, than any great chicken dinner or steak that you ever had on planet Earth, on this Earth. You're going to enjoy it more. So will we enjoy everything in the new heaven and on the new Earth? I think so. I think heaven will be the ultimate fulfillment of what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17, that God gives us richly all things to enjoy. And we're going to enjoy everything about the new heaven and the new earth. And right now we're laying up treasures in heaven, Jesus described. Peter described us rejoicing with inexpressible joy and full of glory. How much more will we do it there? Paul said that to depart from this earth and to go be with Christ in the heaven that exists now is far better. Now, it doesn't mean you should try and check out and leave early, but when your life comes to an end, then you should look forward to going to heaven. There's a story told of a guy who's laying in bed and he's doing poorly and he, he knows the end is coming and his son says to him, how do you feel, man? His dad says, like a little kid on Christmas Eve, tomorrow's Christmas. He said, I get to see the Lord very soon. We should have that anticipation, that eagerness to be with him. Living in the eternal heaven and the new heaven and the new earth, that eternal place will be far better than your greatest day on this earth. It will be spectacular, physically, emotionally, spiritually, spectacular. We'll be with the Lord. God will dwell with us. Right now, the Holy Spirit lives within you if you have trusted Christ as your Savior. So you have a little bit of that experience now, but it's going to be so much better, so much richer, so much more full than you are with me. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.